We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Here ends the epistle reading. My title today is Doing Good. And I'm going to make an assumption. And that is that you want to be a good person. In fact, when I thought about that, I realized that we actually can't take that for granted about one another. There can't be very many people, I hope, who make a positive decision, I want to be a bad person. But other self-centered goals for our lives that we may well have can so shape our thinking and our aim for life that being a good person is something that gets relegated right out of sight. And that is effectively like living as if you don't want to be a good person. But I'm going to make an assumption about you, that you do want to be a good person. And when Jesus Christ takes hold of our lives, it is a wonderful thing because he does shift loving God and loving other people to the very center of our attention and he plants within us that desire to be good. So as I said, we will assume that we want to be good. What then is a good person like? Well, that's what uh, we're thinking about today. We're on the final leg of our run through the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. So if you're not there yet, do have that uh, open. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 to 28 on page 988 in the Bibles in the chairs, and it will also be useful for you to have uh, my outline, which is on the back of the yellow sheet in front of you. So this section of Paul's letter does focus on how we are to live our lives. But we will go way off course here if we're not absolutely clear that the Christian life is first of all about having good done to us by God. Only when we've been on the receiving end of the good that God the Father does to us through his Son, Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, can we be good in a way that pleases our Heavenly Father. So in the light of that, and given that this is our last go through 1 Thessalonians, at least for a while, before we go any further, let's do a bit of revision on the overall uh, sort of thrust of this letter. The whole thing's only two and a half pages long, so just turn back a page, would you, to the start of the letter, and follow this through with me. In chapter 1, verse 5, so right up at the beginning, 
the Apostle Paul reminds this young Thessalonian church, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So the Apostle Paul preached the gospel of Christ to them and because of the work of the Holy Spirit within them, they accepted it. What did that look like? Well, he expands on that in in, uh, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, where he describes the change that overcame them. So this is from halfway through verse 9. He says, You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then in the light of that supernatural transformation, the apostle urged them to live in a way that was worthy of the living God who had saved and called them through Christ. So just look down to chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And Paul is thankful that that is exactly what they've begun to do. And he wants them to do more of what they're doing. He wants them to do it more and more. So chapter 4, verse 1, he says, We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll know that John Teasdale was teaching us that these new lives are lived in the light of the fact that Jesus is going to return. So chapter 5, verse 2, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But, verse 4, you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. And he urges them to put on faith and love and the hope of salvation. Therefore, chapter 5, verse 11, so just before our section, our passage, 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. There it is again. Carry on doing what you are doing, but do it more and more. And you are not alone in this. Strengthen one another in your living for Christ as you wait for his return. So then in this final section, Paul spells out in some quick-fire exhortations what this good life should look like. He's going to tell us how we should live. But as we've seen, we must not be under any illusions. This is a supernatural gospel-driven life. This is not just trying to be good. This is living out the life for which we have been chosen by God the Father, which has been made possible through the death and resurrection of His Son and the forgiveness that flows to us through that, and for which we are given power by the Holy Spirit. How then should we live? As you'll see on my outline, I have three main headings which attempt, just to put in a nutshell, the message of the three main sections of our uh, passage. And then Paul basically says goodbye 
at the end, and we don't have time to look at that closely. But first of all, keep working hard to encourage and strengthen those around you. This is chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. And remember, this is God's word written. This is God talking to us through his servant, the apostle. Here are those verses. We ask you, brothers, read sisters as well, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So this is a word picture of a highly attractive community of men and women. Isn't this exactly the kind of community, the kind of extended family that we would love to be? And the heart of Paul's call is there at the end of verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves. This church should be a peaceful community. And that's an active peace, a peace that requires hard work if it's going to be maintained. And that hard work is demanded of every member of the community. We are all, each one of us, responsible for the peace of our fellowship. We are all to play a part in creating and preserving that peace. We all have the capacity to damage it if we ignore this call. Peace in a large family is very easily disrupted. It is constantly under threat. So Paul has some beautiful and powerful pastoral wisdom for us here about all the multiple relationships that make up our church life. For one thing, he says, have a high regard for those who lead you faithfully. Verse 12, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and he says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, there is something that I would never get around to preaching if we didn't systematically work through books of the Bible. But don't miss the point that this definitely cuts both ways. Those with, res- with positions of responsibility in the church are clearly expected to earn this respect and esteem. They are to be laboring and working and teaching and saying the unpopular thing when necessary. What is more, we all have those over us and those under us in the life of the church at different times. Those for whom we have responsibility and those to whom we are responsible in one way or another. And in the thick of that, we are to be working hard for one another, esteeming one another because we love one another in Christ. That is the way of peace. And why does God's word stress this? Well, surely it is because we can see so easily all the flaws and the weaknesses and the sins of those over us. And therefore, it is all too easy and tempting to lose respect and start despising, to lose esteem, to stop loving those who are over us. And that is the end of a peaceful community. That is not living 
in a way that's worthy of our calling and of Christ who laid down his life for us. Then moving on, Paul says, give the right kind of encouragement to each person according to their need. Verse 14, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. What an astonishingly powerful verse that is. What a difference it would make if we lived consistently in that way. Clearly, in the mind of Christ, we are all responsible for one another's growth in holiness and for encouraging one another in our discipleship. And we all test one another's patience to what would be the breaking point if it were not for the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit among us. And we are to think about one another and ask ourselves what kind of encouragement each one of us needs. Because it's going to vary. One person really needs a strong talking to because they are thick-skinned and stubborn and only a blunt approach is going to get through. Admonish the idol. Another person would be crushed if they were spoken to in that way and they need a gentle and encouraging word to keep them going when the way is hard and they doubt whether they can keep going. Encourage the faint-hearted. Another person needs not only words but also practical help because they simply cannot manage on their own at the moment. Help the weak. And of course any one of us will move between those categories. Sometimes needing a rebuke, sometimes an encouraging word, sometimes needing someone alongside us carrying some of our load. So we need to be discerning in our care for one another, thoughtful about what those around us need in their walk with Christ. And that, we, that means we need our focus to be on one another, not on ourselves. And that is hard. And that needs continual work. It needs Christ-like, spirit-empowered patience. Be patient with them all. It needs daily, deliberate acts of the will to turn away from evil in our dealings with one another and to do good. And that's the third thing that Paul says in this section that really sums it all up. Always seek to do good to everyone. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. See, there are two possibilities in the end. Either there is a vicious circle of someone doing something bad to us and us doing something just as bad or even worse back to them. And that is just destructive for both. Or we can break the cycle and return good when evil is done to us. And that blesses not only the one who wronged us, but it blesses us as well. And that is the way of love. And that, God says to us, is how we should be living. And not sometimes, and not with some people, but always, and with everyone. And not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but everyone. And in every circumstance. Is that a tall order? Most certainly is. No wonder we need the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So that's the first main thing. Keep working hard to encourage and strengthen those around you. Secondly, keep on working at your relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is verses 16 to 22. And I want us to notice here that this Trinitarian nature of what Paul is saying. God is three in one and one in three, and we need to relate to all three persons appropriately. So look out for Father, Son, and Spirit in these verses. From from verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So talk to God the Father continually, giving thanks as you look back, asking for what is needed as you look around, and rejoicing as you look ahead. We can always, without fail... Be thankful as we look back because nothing can change the facts of what God has done for us in Jesus. We can always, without fail, bring the needs that we see around us to the Father in prayer because the way to his throne is now wide open to us through faith in Christ. And we can always, without fail, have hope as we look to the future, because we know that Jesus will return one day and bring in his kingdom. And that all means that deep down, whatever our present circumstances, we can always, without fail, rejoice. Rejoice always at the root of God's call to us to be doing good always to all people, is the command to rejoice always. Joy is the fuel of the Christian life. And then listen to God the Holy Spirit carefully. Test everything you hear against the Scriptures, verses 19 to 21. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. To prophesy is to say say something in the name of God. A prophecy claims to be a word from God. This is what God is saying. And when we hear that, we are not simply to scoff, far from it, because we are always to be attentive to the voice of God. But we are to test it to see whether that claim is true. How do we do that? By seeing whether what is said is true to what the Scriptures say. Because we know that the Scriptures are the voice of God. What the Bible says is what God says. Any word that is not in line with what the Bible says is a false prophecy and should be rejected. Any word that is neither confirmed by nor contradicted by the Bible should be regarded as not a word direct from God, but a word from man and weighed and heard with discernment accordingly. And any word that is in line with what the Bible says is true. And it should be received as God speaking. So listen to God the Holy Spirit carefully. And then follow God the Son consistently. Don't do what's wrong. Do what's right. Abstain from every form of evil, verse 22. 
There is that call again, put in negative form. Always do good, never do evil. To everyone in all circumstances. There's only one sinless, perfect man, and that is Jesus. And that is what we're called to be, Christ-like. And if we're going to be Christ-like, then we have to be growing in ever closer fellowship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then finally, and thirdly, God will keep working to bring you safely through to the day when Jesus returns. This is verses 23 and 24. Now we began with that recognition that this challenging call to goodness and holiness is a call to a supernatural, gospel-driven life. It is not just trying to be good by ourselves. This is living out the life for which we have been chosen by the Father, which has been made possible through the death and resurrection of the Son, and for which we are given power by the Holy Spirit. So what makes it possible for us to give ourselves fully to doing good and to being good is the promise that God will make it happen. So look at how the Apostle draws to a close here in verses 23 and 24. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, make you holy, make you like Christ. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul's prayer in verse 23 that they and we will become totally Christ-like is prayed with absolute confidence because of what's in verse 24. What's that? God is faithful to his promise. And he will certainly and completely do this work in you until the day when Jesus returns and the work is done. He will surely do it. This is God speaking to us. This is God telling us that he will surely do it. So be full of hope. Be full of hope. Work at doing good to everyone at all times because God is at work in you, making you good, making you like Jesus for his glory. Let's bow our heads to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that through the death and resurrection of your Son and by the power of your Spirit, you will make us good in order that we will do good for your glory. Amen.